0: Superhero Stuff You Should Know is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network.
1: Hey, this is Ben from Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and I have an important announcement for you guys. At the end of every single episode of Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you might hear a shout out to our fans, one of whom is Matt Herring, who was one of the original Superhouse fans. He's always given us his support, and now it's time that we support him. Uh, we've just recently found out that Matt has been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer, and as a cancer survivor myself, I know personally that there is a lot of emotional and financial strain that comes into that. Uh, his wife, Kelly, has set up a GoFundMe account at GoFundMe.com slash F Matthew hyphen kicks, hyphen cancer 039S, hyphen butt. Uh, And hopefully you can help reduce the financial strain to that, as well as some of the emotional strain that comes with that. Again, that's GoFundMe.com slash F slash Matthew dash Kicks dash Cancer zero three nine S dash
0: butt. Matt Herring was the first, I guess you could say true super house fan. We were super house at that time. You know, the first fan of this podcast and what we do here and um, has always supported us talked about us and um, he's from a town close to where I'm from and uh, so we share that as well and just a huge superhero fan and you know nerd like the rest of us and now he's going through that and uh, if you could donate just at least any amount of money to that link that Ben just said that would be Truly appreciate it. Just hang in there, Matt. You'll beat this thing soon.
2: Hello, kiddies. It's your old pal, the Crypt Keeper, broadcasting live, so to speak, from my crawly crypt. You know, there's an old saying, clowns can be funny. But there's nothing funny about a clown at midnight. That's a lesson the man in tonight's terror tale is about to find out the horrid way. I call this nasty little nugget. A wizard in need is a corpse indeed.
0: (laughs) Oh my, I just love trick-or-treating. Halloween is a wizard's favorite holiday. Let me just go to this door here. Trick or treat!
1: Oh, take what other candy you want. Alfred's got the night off.
0: I would love only candy corn and those big fake peanuts. You know what I'm talking about?
1: Unfortunately, Alfred wasn't able to get them for his night off. All I have is Snickers and the fun size one. Don't try to ask me for the full one because we don't have them.
0: Oh, I guess that'll do. <laughs> you Thank see... You. A little old to be trick-or-treating. I'm in the holiday spirit all the time. You see, it's a wizard's favorite holiday, and we often go out alone and trick-or-treat. You're staying in character pretty well, I'll give you that. Oh, it's no character at all. Anyway, ta-ta for now. Good night. Off to the next house I go. This one looks interesting. Trick-or-treat. Why did you pick a wrong doorstep? (laughs) My, my! This man surely is in character. I would... Do you have any candy corn? No, I'm afraid I
2: don't have any candy, actually. Most people are smart enough to stay away from my house. Especially on Halloween. <laughs> what about those big fake peanuts? Oh, the orange puffy ones. Yes, no. you
0: know exactly.
2: No, no, I don't have any of those. Ah, uh, what about Michael's and Isaac's? I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Aren't
0: you a little bit old to be out trick-or-treating? Uh, you know, I get that a lot. I just really am festive is all. You see, I, I'm i a wizard, we love it. Oh, a real wizard, huh? With yes. real magic. Real magical powers.
2: Well, I've got to say, uh, I don't have any candy, but uh, I might have a trick up my sleeve. <laughs> oh, I do love tricks. You see, before tonight, I wouldn't have thought this, but you know, I'm starting to find you rather appealing.
0: Oh, wow. We just started this relationship.
2: Not in that way, I'm sorry. Oh. You <laughs> don't want to get your hopes up. Uh, I, I should say, mm, appetizing.
0: Oh, I know where this is headed. You've seen this one before, then?
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe. Well, uh, could I invite you in? Uh, maybe for uh, some tea and crumpets, huh?
0: Oh, lovely.
2: Yes, come right this way, my little blood bag. <laughs> I mean, my little friend. <laughs> oh, sounds great. You see, last night I met a large Transylvanian man with a very thick accent. And it seems that your old Uncle Joke has been turned into a bloodsucker.
0: Oh, I've heard of those, seen many in my crystal ball.
2: <laughs> very nice, you know, it's kind of funny, I'm closer to a bat now than old pointy is.
0: <laughs> nice! I've been to Transylvania, many wonderful wizards there.
2: <laughs> well, let's cut the shit. It seems I'm a little parched this evening. And you're the only one who was foolish enough to come up to my doorstep.
0: Hmm. Still no candy corn, I take it?
2: (laughs) No. Well, now pull your hair back and lean over for me. Here I come.
0: (coughs) Joke's on you! (laughs) There's a reason I was not afraid. Now you are a magical imp.
2: What the hell is going on here? I'll be back!
0: (laughs) Happy Halloween, indeed.
1: This is... uh Happy Halloween from Superhero Stuff You Should Know. This is Batman, a.k.a. Ben, and with me in the Ben Cave are...
0: The magical indeed wizard, yes it is true. I finally made it here.
1: And zooming in from the other side of the states is my mortal enemy, now an immortal enemy.
0: It's me, Count (laughs) (laughs) Jokular. That is (laughs) (laughs) scrumptrulescently funny.
1: It's our guest, uh, Zachary Jackson Brown, and it is Halloween as you can see in the video version, you can see on YouTube. I am in the Batflex suit, and Andrew is his Indeed Wizard.
0: I am the Indeed
1: Wizard. I am currently doing the Keaton turn so that I can make sure that uh, (laughs) I'm seeing well. However, this thing is getting hot, so I'm going to take off the Batman mask right now. Oh, you. Yes. But, again... Happy Halloween, everybody, and uh... we are here today to talk about a. Batman
0: is <laughs> Benoit! <what? laughs> oh my god, I thought it was Bruce Wayne! Oh man! He indeed was a festival. Same initials,
3: close to now. Yes,
0: yes, there Same. How have I actually never noticed that before?
1: <laughs> so uh, we're here to talk about, uh, as you can see here, our very famous. Run from writer Steve Englehart and artist Marshall Rogers from 1978, commonly known as Strange Apparitions. It's an eight-issue run that got its name from the trade paperback collection, as you can see, from 1999. This run reimagined Hugo Strange, Deadshot, and the Joker, and was adapted into not just one, but two episodes of Batman the Animated Series. But the biggest point of contention that we'll talk about today is how it ties into 1989 Batman film. Writer Sam Hamm for the 89 film said, quote, DC also sent us the Englehart and Rogers run of Detective, which they were quite taken with, but I don't think we borrowed that much from it beyond the notion that Gotham City was run by the mob. Writer Steve Englehart, however, said to the same magazine, quote, I was the backbone of the 1989 Batman movie. So we have a bit of dispute here. (laughs) Yes. So we're going to go behind the scenes into behind the scenes stories of this run and ask the big question for this episode. Did the Batman 89 movie rip off Strange Apparitions?
0: Hmm. And since, since we're already going down this road, yes. my crystal ball says yes.
1: <laughs> All right, Wizard. So how familiar are you with the Strange Apparitions? Are?
0: Now, 0%. This cover. This is it. Yes. The cover up before my eyes. Show right. for Zach. Yes. He's probably already seen it.
1: Oh, he has it. A-
0: Oh, yeah, there we go. Yes, they are. <laughs> so
1: I know, Zach, you've read it. What do? You, how do you feel about the strange apparitions?
0: I think
3: that I like the majority of it. There's just a couple spots that are a little bit slow to me. Um, but overall, I really like the tone of it. It's very realistic.
1: Yeah, uh, and that's what Englehart had been setting out to do. So let's dive into it. Uh, It was collected from Detective Comics 469 to 476. However, the first collection was simply called Shadow of the Bat, while Steve Englehart considers this the official name that he gives it is Dark Detective Part 1. Uh, That's because the sequel is called Dark Detective just in general, but he considers that to be Dark Detective 2. For our purposes, though, we're going to go by the popular name and the Halloween name of
3: Strange Apparitions. Oh,
0: I like that one
1: so Steve Englehart has been mentioned on the podcast before in our deep dive into the 89 Batman movie and the Dark Knight due to his claims that those movies ripped off his work uh, we'll put that to the test later on when we you know, go into the actual comics here but uh, Steve Englehart himself just to give you a bit of a history how much are you familiar uh, Zach with Steve Englehart outside of uh, this Batman run
3: I'm going to take out my fangs because I got a speech impediment <laughs> <laughs> Just go with it, it's my man. It's one of those things
1: that is great for video, but for yeah. podcast purposes, we're like, wait a minute. <laughs> All
3: right. <laughs> um, so I actually read the Dark Detective run before I read the Strange Apparitions collections. Really? And I didn't really have much knowledge of Steve Englehart before that point. Mm-hmm. I just knew that I, I did really like Dark Detective. And later on, when I was reading the About Faces blog, I found out about more about his writing and uh kind of his his take on harvey and everything so i do think that it's pretty cool i do like his treatment of rupert thorn and silver saint cloud and everything but yeah mm-hmm. my uh introduction to him was more through dark detective i just found the Star- Batman that man strange apparitions trade paperback um whenever they released it
1: and then you realize like oh that's what dark detective was trying to continue <laughs> So, uh, let's see. Inglehart before Batman, he started out at Marvel in the 1970s. What's uh, that? So, Marvel Comics? I don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, Wizard, your voice strangely went lower.
0: Uh, I don't know about it at all.
1: Yes, uh, some of his big contributions were creating Star-Lord uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy. No. As well as co-creating Shang-Chi with Jim Starlin. Who, of course, was the one who came up with the snap for the Infinity Gauntlet, as that well. That all as,
0: sounds very good. Yes,
1: as well as killed off Jason <laughs> Todd in uh, Death in the Family. Uh, he also did the storyline where Captain America is disillusioned by America and changes his name to Nomad, which likely influenced the Russos and you know Captain America: The Winter Soldier, Captain America: The Civil War, uh, as well as the Avengers movies that they did. Uh, so Engelhart did have a falling out with Marvel in the 70s and got persuaded by DC Comics publisher Jeanette Kahn to go to DC to write for Justice League and Batman. First was Justice League, of course, where Kahn was like, I want you to make the Justice League more like the Avengers in the sense that they wanted them to feel like actual characters as opposed to... Because if you read old school Justice League, it's very much like all of them talk the same way and the main difference from one person to the next outside of how they're drawn is just... One person has a different power than everyone else.
0: Sounds okay to me.
1: Okay, well, that might have been fine for you, but not for <laughs> not for DC at the time. So, uh, Englehart had wanted to leave comics altogether at the time and go to Europe and agree to write uh, for Batman. His great
0: American novel written in Europe.
1: Yes. No, no, He wanted to write it all before going to Europe, is what I'm saying. Oh. Yes. So, still so American. Yes. Uh, he had previously written, however, one of my favorite personal Batman stories that also inspired the opening of 89, which is called Night of the Stalker. Have you guys read this one?
0: Actually, yes, based on your recommendation. Yes. I have. Zach, have you read this? I think so. It does sound familiar.
1: Uh, this is the one where Batman sees another family get mugged.
0: This is, but this, yes.
1: And Batman then hunts after the muggers. Uh, and then, yes, at, but at the very end, he goes back your personal favorite penthouse yeah one of my favorite personal favorites yes
0: batman story (laughs) yes yes
1: uh and he even pretends to play dead in that as well as in the opening of the 89 batman movie which is what michael Uslin cites michael uselin cites that night of the stalker was the main inspiration for the opening
0: is there a scene in which somebody talks about never leaving home without it
1: unfortunately no That was added into the movie
0: it was very popular at the time. I know, I guess. Indeed.
1: I don't know if an American Express card, though, was in the uh, was around in, 19, <laughs> in the 1970s when they came out.
0: Oh, I'm sure it was.
1: So, uh, <laughs> one of the objectives, Angle's uh, heart said that there were a few objectives here for what he wanted to do with Batman. Because he, quote-unquote, wanted to write the definitive Batman uh, in it. So, as you do. As you do. As you would want to. Which, I mean, sounds a little arrogant at first, but honestly, I like, can't blame him.
0: He wanted to, quote-unquote, Alan Moore that shit.
1: Yes. I think that might have been before Alan Moore had been writing it, too. So it was very prophetic. Oh, wow. Yes.
0: Better sorcerer than even Moore himself. Yes. Alan Moore, actually a wonderful sorcerer. Yes. Uh, We can tell by the beard. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, So he
1: said, here were his main objectives. He had five objectives for this. Number one, quote, we need to know. Bruce Wayne to really appreciate what it means to be the Batman. Number two, Bruce is, as Zach pointed out, an adult is an adult man, and it always bugged me that adult heroes blush and stammer when a pretty girl comes onto them. So Bruce could be recognizably adult, and that means a sex life.
0: Ah, so this is the first time he that, does it in yes, the comics. He does, yes. Uh, not on panel,
1: but it is heavily implied, as we will find out. Uh, number three, <laughs> silhouette
0: of his dick. <laughs> No, a that was the Batman a black label now. Yes, exactly.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, the woman involved should be a strong woman and a player on the Gotham scene to be able to handle Bruce Wayne uh, number four I resurrected the pulpy darkness that reigned during the Batman's first year uh, and lastly number five in that darkness lived a legitimately crazy Joker uh, and it ends with every single one of those was a major change from what had been going on in the strip for the previous 35 years and certainly the TV show because the resulting run was immediately labeled the definitive Batman. Every single one of those concepts is now so basic that a lot of people seem to think they've been around forever. They haven't. Huh, so indeed. Englehart has taken credit for it, but uh, DC Comics writer and executive Paul Levitz notes that it's arguably our fan's best-loved version of Batman in the mid-'70s. Writer Steve Engleh- Englehart and Pencilor, uh Rogers' detective run features an unambiguously homicidal Joker in noirish, moodily rendered stories that evoked the classic Kane... Robinson era, too bad he didn't mention Finger, but
0: still. that, <laughs> that finger era. always got the shaft, didn't he? he not
1: he is, even years later, unfortunately. So there is mm.
0: a there's a reference to him in
3: the comic I saw.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of actual what Steve Englehart seemed. I have to look to see if this is a thing before him, but Englehart is very heavily. He seems to have started the whole Easter egg thing of every of just sliding in previous comic book creators into. Oh parts of the characters or different streets or anything like at one point bruce says that he has a friend named jerry robinson oh so uh those are all the different little things that he he added to it so it could have sparked off the whole easter egg thing that people try to slyly slide in some sort of like comic creators name into stuff so
0: sounds good to me yes indeed
1: <laughs> so uh let's jump right into it into the eight issue run uh, I'm not going to be able to set this Batman back up. Uh, <laughs> he has fallen over, so we'll just say Batman. Watch has your fallen. footing, little man. <laughs> Watch your footing. So, uh, the first one is called Death's Eerie Light, and it says on the bottom, quote, presenting the Batman you've been waiting for. So, clearly, Steve Englert was trying to set up some sort of expectation ah. uh, on here. Um, the art, however, was not by Ro- Marshall Rogers originally. It was by Walt Simonson and inked by Al Milgram. Or, uh, yeah, Milgram. Uh, so, Marshall Rogers was only part of this as a colorist, uh, but he had not quite, he wasn't doing the penciling yet. Uh, we start with a bang, though, where Alfred collapses and falls into a coma in the opening page. Weak! <laughs> <laughs> you have a problem with Alfred, Mr. Wizard? Weak ass bitch! <laughs> uh, it turns out there's this epidemic sweeping across Gotham of. So, yes, I know another epidemic or pandemic.
0: <laughs> Coronavirus-like pandemics. <laughs> That's titles not sh- so, not long at all.
1: Yes, 1970s. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great for <laughs> your SEO and whatnot. Yes. <laughs>
1: uh, I have no discernible pattern, and someone named Doctor Phosphorus is claiming responsibility.
0: Doctor Phosphorus, indeed. I know him well. Oh,
1: do you? Yes, we hmm. made
0: it at wizard conventions. <laughs> 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 I'm swallowing my own beard here. <laughs>
1: Perhaps you need a shave, indeed, wizard. No. Okay.
0: Well, I your funeral. I derive my magical power from <laughs> you, this beard. All right. And <laughs> I live in it. So Batman goes back home and <laughs>
1: figures out that everyone drank. Like, what does every all these victims have in common? And it turns out everyone drank the water, the tap water. Because this is before Brita Filters.
0: Water is popular. 78. Yes, water is
1: very water popular. Is very popular. You might need it to live. Yes. <laughs> so, he goes to the reservoir, and that's where he meets Dr. Phosphorus, who is a guy who is completely in skeleton form.
0: Nah, I probably know him as well. Yes, yes. So, uh,
1: so for, from my perspective, as reading this as a kid, I was like, oh shit, it's Blight from <laughs> Batman Beyond, <laughs> where I was like, because he looks exactly the same. If you look at the comic, it's completely... almost as
0: if they're copying one another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So if
1: you open it up here, you might as well. <laughs> oh. Since you're being familiarized with it, if you open it for the couple first few pages, you'll come across eventually a page with the skeleton man oh. of Dr. Phosphorus. Does he not look like Blight to you? Just with hair, it seems like.
0: Who is Blight again?
1: From Batman Beyond, the guy. uh, Oh yes, uh, I know, I know. Yes. uh, Yes. Uh, Yes. Very similar. They
0: probably copied. Yeah, they probably did this here. Tome.
1: Did you feel the same way, Zach? Because I know that you read it later, probably after you've seen Batman Beyond.
3: Absolutely. Whenever I found out who Doctor Phosphorus was, I was like, "Oh, that looks just like Blight." I thought in the fact that it was like just another name for the same character, but I'm pretty sure it was just like an inspiration, but. Yeah, he does seem to have like a very, very similar power as well. And
0: is a- Ink in this one in the later issues?
1: Uh, ink, unfortunately, is not part of this oh, one. I miss her. You have a thing for Ink? Sure.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> he already likes Clayface. Of course he's going to like
0: Ink. Ink, Clayface, all you know, of them. All the gooey monsters. Gooey. <laughs> yes, I love gooeyness. <laughs> but also candy corn. Yes.
1: Yes, clearly. Uh, so Phosphorus is really a doctor named Alex Sartorius who got suckered into investing into a power plant from a city councilman named Rupert Thorne. So Steve Englehart created Rupert Thorne. I believe Rupert Thorne
0: and Rip Torn are friends.
1: <laughs> he could have possibly played Rupert Thorne at some point if it they ever had in live action. But yeah, Rupert Thorne is in charge of the Tobacconist Club, uh, which is basically a code name for the mob, essentially. These are a whole group of people who are corrupt politicians. we are sort of added city corruption into the batman comics there wasn't a ton of that at the time uh and so this was kind of the introduction of that introduction of adding the mob to it as sam ham cited when he said that seemed to be the main inspiration over here uh so Thorne, who would later become a big part of the batman animated series in the 90s uh was introduced here looks pretty much the same another gray-haired fat guy uh kind of looks like you know Marlon Brando in his later years not during the 70s but his many later years
0: beard or no beard there's
1: no beard forget him (laughs) (laughs) so Thorne is actually a mob boss and Sartorius was caught in the power plant through a nuclear explosion but he survived and became Dr. Phosphorus uh, from there so he threatens all the city council members uh, well he, he basically threatens this one city council member however into removing Batman from out of his way so that he can continue his revenge on Gotham City and that leads into the next issue, The Master Plan of Dr. Phosphorus, uh, where uh, Batman is actually... He gets served. He gets ordered to appear in front of the grand jury by a subpoena, uh, worthy <laughs> enough. This is still during the time where Batman was kind of a public figure.
0: Uh, before the uh, urban legend Batman, as it were. Kind,
1: yeah, kind of. I mean, it's ah. it was... <laughs> Even Joker's falling over.
0: Mind your footing, Joker. <laughs> <laughs> He's off the board. <laughs> Only
1: Keaton is here uh, for now. But uh, Chief O'Hara even has a cameo in this, which I think might have been one of the first times they brought him in, because again, he was created for the Dozier '66 series.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: uh, he has a brief period where he warns Bruce about, or he warns Batman really about what's going on, uh, and Bruce ends up setting up a yacht party as cover. Uh, before he goes to the nuclear power plant to fight uh, phosphorus, and he figures that's the only place where phosphorus could get the radiation. But while he is there, he meets a lovely lady named Silver St. Cloud, and that is who uh, Steve Englehart created. Uh, he, Englehart again, he created her because he always felt that quote uh, as a kid when Lois Lane or Lana Lang or somebody would cozy up to Superman, Superman would go, "Gosh, you know, I really have no idea what to do with an actual woman." <laughs>
0: And Batman's like, I shall put it in post haste. (laughs) So throw it down the hallway as it were. (laughs) He said,
1: quote, I thought that's not how adults operate. Even as a kid, I said, that's ridiculous. It just seemed lame that they were so pure. So if Bruce Wayne is a millionaire playboy running a millionaire's enterprise, he would have hot girlfriends and he would have a sex life.
0: Indeed, be fucking left and right. Yes.
1: (laughs) So that's how Silver St. Cloud was created. Wrap it up, Bruce. If that name sounds familiar to our listeners, that's because we mentioned her in the 89 deep dive uh, because she was in script written later on that was inspired by this run, as we'll go into more detail in this episode. Uh, but Bruce after briefly meeting her ends up leaving to fight Dr. Phosphorus in his new suit he has a new Batman suit honestly looks exactly like his regular one uh, <laughs> this is not this is so before very I went, oh, sh- it, yeah I know the th-
0: threading is different <laughs> yeah the
1: threading is different this is not like Clooney at the end of Batman and Robin where he's clearly in the suit just so they can sell another toy this. his
0: head much more still than Sir Clooney yes, as yes. well yes yes so uh,
1: but he defeats him and Phosphorus supposedly that bobble headed
0: motherfucker <laughs>
1: <laughs> Phosphorus supposedly falls into the plant uh, And dies So there goes your friend Dr. Phosphorus Mr. Wizard ah, so well,
0: He'll be back I'm sure
1: He ends up going back to the party Where he meets Silver again as Bruce Wayne And Silver puts her hand through his hair Only to find that it's wet And wonders how that could be Because he was fighting in the power plant that's near the, the water and everything so that's why I see but Inglehart wanted to show that she was smarter than the usual Batman love interest like the Julie Madisons or the Linda Pages or the Vicky Vales. Like basic bitches yeah exactly really? he was not a fan of any of them <laughs> so uh, revolutionizing <laughs> the bat exactly he felt Silver St. Cloud he said the name comes from the idea of silver clouds in front of a moon He said, quote, I was trying to think of a Batman kind of vibe if I'm going to name her and she's going to be the girlfriend for the next 50 years, which didn't happen then. Uh, So Silver, Clouds, Moon, it all sounded very Batman-like without naming her Jane McCowface or something like that. (laughs) So uh, that's the first two issues. That's kind of just setting it up, honestly. It's not a huge – they're not a huge classics or anything uh, like that. Uh, What did you think of these uh, first two issues, Zach?
3: Um, I liked the Dr. Foster's parts. so I thought that was pretty cool, and I had no idea Englehart created Thorne and um, Silver St. Cloud because, uh, you know, my first introduction to Batman was the animated series, so I had a good understanding of who Rupert Thorne was, so knowing that now, that is pretty cool. I like seeing that, that element of the corruption within the city, mm-hmm. because I feel like that's just such commonplace now in Batman stories that it's kind of cool that that was started that way um so the first two issues i enjoyed them quite a bit
1: yeah yeah and i think it's a good setup it's a good prologue uh to everything that's been going on uh on it but that's that's the only time that we see walt simonson's art and then we switch over to uh marshall rogers so Englehart was actually not a fan of simonson's art
0: does silver saint cloud ever fuck john paul valley
1: no john paul valley was Many years later, disappointed. Yes, very disappointing. Sure. Only fucked They bad, just right?
0: seem like they get together just for their names alone. No. Three names. Yes. Three names. It's either it's they fuck need. or they have their serial, not serial killers. Yeah, serial killers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, Angerhart was actually not a fan of the art, but he kept that to himself. Uh, apparently. Uh, until later when he said that in an interview for me to say this on this podcast.
0: The Comic-Cons? Yes. He said it uh, sucked. Ed- ed- the story Julie, was great.
1: Julie Schwartz, uh, the editor, though, switched out the art team to Marshall Rogers, who was a colorist in those issues, but he made him the main artist, artist and that's the one. He's the one who did this cover that you see here if you're watching the YouTube version uh, of this, and he created uh, a lot of the classic. It's a different type of Batman from the Neil Adams one. It's a little less... Um, photorealistic version but Uh, still very atmospheric on that
0: cartoony as it were yes
1: are you a Marshall rogers fan zach
3: oh definitely especially his joker that's like i
1: don't
3: know there's a a quality to his face that's uh, it's such a classic joker image i think his chin and jaw are just a little bit more broad and rounded so it's It's definitely rounded
1: than the neil adams one yeah
3: yeah such a, a I guess a broader face. Yeah, neil adams's joker is very gaunt and pointy mm-hmm. which that's fine too like i when i think of the joker i do think of like a pointy nose but uh marshall rogers rogers joker is uh just a little more fuller looking and i associate that joker with a real classic comic joker
1: yeah pretty much this is this is old school joker very it's, it's classic art. It's, it's fantastic. And I think he's honestly probably one of the more underrated artists because a lot of people cite Neil Adams or Jim Lee and stuff. And Marshall Rogers isn't quite at the top unless you're like more hardcore comic fan. Uh, but he is pretty legit uh, on it. So uh, Terry Austin was the inker and John Workman was the letterer, And they also worked on Dark Detective the sequel uh, afterwards. Uh, here's another thing is that Engelhart wrote all the scripts in advance before even seeing any of Rogers' art. That's how it should be done. So he, uh, he did not actually end up seeing what it looked like until the comics showed up at his doorstep. And he looked at the... So this is art. a
0: writer's comic.
1: Yeah. Uh, and his first reaction when he saw Marshall Rogers' art was, quote, thank you, God. So <laughs> he was clearly a big fan of Marshall Rogers, and that's why they collaborated so much later on. He had uh, no
0: crystal ball at that time yeah. to see how the art was going.
1: Maybe he could have used your help.
0: I should have been there, but I was, let's just say, busy. In
1: 1978.
0: Yes. Gotcha. I had wizardly things <laughs> on, my, on my mind. Definitely a year of magic. It was, a, it was a year of a lot of things. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so the next one is The Dead Yet Live, which really kickstarts this. To me, I consider the phosphorus ones to be the prologue. This next part is chapter one. Uh, Batman is recovering from his wounds from phosphorus and nearly gets caught spying on Rupert Thorne. He decides that, you know, he needs some time to heal. And he hears about this clinic called Grey Towers that supposedly value the privacy of their rich clients. Uh, so he decides to take some time off. And uh, he calls over St. Cloud to tell her. And she's in lingerie at this point in the bed. So Rogers writes her in and she says, quote, well, after the other night, darling, I'd hoped you'd at least be suffering from exhaustion because I know I am. So, that was the first reference that uh, Bruce and Silver had had sex you in You don't have issues. to be
0: the world's greatest detective to pick up on those clues, am I all right, everyone? <laughs> so... Uh, Alf-
1: yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but also, Alfred-, Alfred notes that he's actually calling Silver to let her know that he's not going to be around for a bit and Alfred feels that that doesn't sound like the usual Master Bruce playboy routine and stuff. So, in between issues, it seems like Bruce and Silver have gotten close. Uh, It's somewhat off-panel, though. Uh, But Bruce decides he goes to Grey Towers, and he meets Dr. Todd Hunter, who's the main uh, doctor there, and uh, even though he seems to like Silver a lot, he still flirts with Dr. Todd Hunter's assistant named Magda, and Magda locks him uh, you know, she leads him into uh, this room where he's supposed to be staying, and inside, it's completely dark, (laughs) and she locks him in, and he realizes he's been imprisoned in uh, Grey Towers, and before he can ask, he gets drugged from her perfume and falls asleep. Uh, world's, world's greatest
0: detective. <laughs> <laughs> it saved his all his blood was in his dick He's at that point. Supposed to be
1: the dark detective, as I said.
0: The dark detective.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> so uh, he was thinking too much of his dark detective, apparently. Before, so he was he was not caught. <laughs> and it caught on to the fact that uh, her perfume was drinking. Like, what? <laughs> so he wakes up and and there's a guard outside, and the guard tells him, "You're not in a clinic. You're in an insane asylum." Ah, come. Of the Arkham variety? Uh, Of the Arkham variety, but not actually Arkham at this time. Okay. Uh, Arkham was still in its early stages in the 70s, so uh, I don't think that was a thing yet. Uh, But Bruce decides he's going to break out as Batman. So even though they've imprisoned him, they still left him with all of his suitcase and stuff. So he changes costume and he goes up to the roof only to find that it's guarded by two giant men giant monster men in fact Um, yes indeed so now we're getting into some more supernatural aspects for the Halloween uh, episode but Bruce defeats them and confronts Dr. Todd Hunter claiming that he's been tracking Todd Hunter for weeks and knows that he's been imprisoning people and Todd Hunter says that can't be true because Batman is too good of a detective to track his scheme and not who he really is
0: unless the blood's going to his dick all of a sudden and <laughs> then he Hunter can't put the clues together
1: <laughs> Todd Hunter does not pick up on that however he, he says you can't possibly have picked up on what I'm doing and not who I really am and then he pulls his face off to reveal that in reality Dr. Todd Hunter is Professor Hugo Strange so it can is, you believe it yes Professor Hugo Strange is as recorded in this podcast one of my favorite Batman villains this is his first appearance in 38 years uh, uh it was a comments. deep cut at this time at the time it was yes hmm. uh zach are you a hugo strange fan
3: yes this is probably my favorite version of him i guess yeah. it became a lot more formidable you know in those early like stories it was very very simplified it was just like mm-hmm. a you know typical super villain mad scientist but yeah making him formidable like this and being uh, originally one of the few super villains who had found out Batman's secret identity kind of ratcheted him up to the top of the list Right,
1: right. so yeah he was kind of just a mad scientist in the early years uh, they wanted to set him up uh, you know he was created of course by Bill Finger uh, and was set up as like the Professor Moriarty to Batman Sherlock Holmes um, but one of the most notable stories was in Batman number one where he creates kind of the precursor to Bane uh, a serum that turns people into huge monster men Huge muscular monster men, and that those are the two men that are at the top of the rooftop when Batman fights them. You would think that would have tipped Batman off in the beginning, but again, I think Engelhart was trying to appeal to readers who had probably not been reading stuff in the nineteen forties because this was thirty eight years later. Uh, he also used the fear toxin before Scarecrow did in the previous in his previous appearance. Yeah. Um and he was believed OG, to be dead. As it were. He was the OG Scarecrow, honestly. Yeah, uh, ah. he tried to use this fear dust or fear toxin uh, on people, and Batman. He and Batman had a confrontation where Batman punched him, and he fell off the cliff into the water, and that was the last time you saw him. It was in the 1940s, uh, and now he's back in 1978. Uh, everything I agree with Zach. Everything I love about Hugo is in the story and the fact that it became less mad scientist ish and more psychological. And we'll go into why uh, on that. Uh, Engelhart came up with this idea when he asked for Xerox copies of all the old issues, all the old school, especially the Bob Kane, Bill Finger, Jerry Robinson run, to see what came before, and he decided to bring back some old villains. Uh, and Hugo had kind of... He saw the potential in bringing back somebody who was from the very early days. Uh, so now, caught up in, pre, in present day, Hugo's turned all the previous rich patients, like Bruce's friend Jerry Robinson, named after the co-creator of the Joker... Uh, he's brought all of them to sort of under his thrall so he can control them. Uh, and Batman's like, I'm going to stop you. And he fights, they fight together, but Batman apparently does not mind his surroundings. And, uh. Um, <laughs>
0: mind your footing. Yes. And
1: he gets bitten by Hugo's pet snake, which strangely. <laughs> gets
0: bitten by Hugo Strange himself. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, <laughs> he's a vampire
1: no, uh, Hugo Strange has a pet snake Who strangely never shows up again What's the snake's name? He doesn't even have a name The snake the only e- shows up just to bite Batman Weaker than
0: Alfred <laughs> So That element
1: Hugo gives him the antidote to the poison Because he doesn't want Batman to die And when Batman wakes up He realizes that he's not seeing Hugo Through the slits The slits of the Batman mask uh, On air. <laughs> So <laughs>
0: The eye holes Yes the eye
1: holes, and so he uh, he turns, and it's unmasked Bruce Wayne turning to Hugo Strange, who says, "Quote: Your secrets are secrets no longer, Bruce Wayne." And that's how the issue ended. After after we Mysterious. return from the break, yes, we will go into what happens after Hugo Strange finds out Bruce's identity.
0: Meanwhile, at the Batcave. Batman is upgrading the Batmobile's internal Bat-computer. Wayne Tech OS 10 isn't working anymore. Need to upgrade.
1: Let's see. Initializing. Apparently the voice is new. That's gonna be interesting. And it's done. Hello, Batmobile.
0: Whoa! Hey, how's it going, man? Where the hell are we? I look pretty cool in these here Bat-wheels.
1: Okay, I don't know what Lucius was thinking, but hello, Batmobile. You're in the Batcave.
0: Ola, How's it going, man? So, uh, when are we going to go out for a spin?
1: We're going to go now. It's already 8 o'clock. Let's go.
0: Okay. (laughs) Hey, hey, hey! I got, uh, what is this, a V8, V10, V12? What you got in this thing?
1: That doesn't matter. We need to get to the GCPD headquarters. Can you give me the directions just to test your capabilities?
0: Sure, man. Let me just check the old... old GPS that you got in here. All right, let's go. Hey, man, did you know that they've got... they got Nazis on the dark side of the moon? And then, you know, they're weaponizing dolphins? I need to talk to Lucius. Why, dude? I mean, come on, man. You know it's true. I'm the one with the upgraded OS. What you got? Upgraded cowl that ain't shit?
1: What did you say about my cowl?
0: I said, it ain't
1: shit. That's it, we're going to downgrade you back to Wayne Enterprises OS 10.
0: Oh no man, these bat wheels are the coolest dude. I am the coolest in the fucking world, man.
1: I don't need more comments as I drive to the police headquarters. It's hard enough trying to talk to Gordon. I don't need to have to have a conversation. I'm
0: gonna downgrade you, I'm gonna downgrade you, how about that? Stupid ass cow. You can't, you're a computer, what are you talking about? transform bitch more than meets the eye and shit all right where's the ejector seat all right everybody if you like that little preview to the sketch right there we have that plus news plus we're bringing back some opinion pieces and uh review type stuff and all kinds of stuff in our five dollar tier on patreon so just go to patreon.com slash superhero stuff and if you become part of the $5 tier, you can see these new bonus episodes. Basically, consider it Superhouse DLC. Oh! Welcome to Superhouse! Snarf, snarf, snarf! And we're
1: back to talk more about Strange Apparitions. So, uh, let's dive into what happened. Our cliffhanger was Hugo Strange finds out the identity of Bruce Wayne and Batman. That they're one and the same. Uh, so the next episode, or the next issue, is called I Am the Batman, which is a sweet name for a story, honestly.
0: before Tony Stark ever did, I yes. know what Marvel is now. Yes. <laughs> you caught up
1: pretty quickly during <laughs> the break.
0: I looked in the crystal ball during the break, and there's been a lot of lot of things have happened over there. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, so there's a great beginning where Batman talks about being Batman, and then he takes off his mask to reveal that he's Bruce Wayne. And then Bruce Wayne peels off his face to reveal that he's Hugo Strange. <laughs> So uh, Hugo is now <laughs> taken over Bruce's identity through being a master of disguise. He's got that whole Mission Impossible thing going, like Dark on. Man, <laughs> yeah, or Dark Man, yeah. Uh, and he says, from this moment on, I am the Batman, which is why it's called that. Wow. So this started the idea that Hugo actually wants to be Bruce Wayne or Batman. And he actually wants to sort of replace him, which is carries into like all the other stories today. But this is the one where they came up with that—the psychological aspect of this. What does he really want uh, outside of just, you know, the standard world domination or experimenting on people and all those things? Uh, I actually wanted Arkham City's boss fight to be Hugo Strange in a bat suit versus Batman to cool. go off of this, um, but instead they did the clayface thing. So eh, whatever. Weak. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but yeah, Hugo has taken over Batman's life and is in this penthouse, uh, in, in the Wayne penthouse. He's taken everything over. He's thrown Alfred out and thrown him into the asylum with Bruce. Uh, and he plans to plunder Wayne Enterprises for millions. Uh, Hugo was kind of one of the first villains to try to seek to psychologically break Batman. So this was before Bane tried to do it in Nightfall. This is before Hush tried to do it. This is before Deacon Blackfire even tried to do it in The Colt in the 80s or The Black Glove in The Morrison's Run. It all starts with Hugo Strange over here, which is why he's one of my favorite villains here. Uh, Silver tries to visit Bruce Wayne at his office, but it's really Hugo Strange in disguise, so that comes into a funny uh, episode. and But she figures out that it's not actually Hugo because, according to Englehart, uh, since silver has been sleeping with bruce she knows bruce from and you know a lot better than anyone else (laughs) oh indeed so now she has magical powers
0: intimately yes
1: very intimately so she decides to call for help and she knows the only person who she can turn to if alfred's not around and bruce isn't around is bruce's former ward dick grayson so Ah, she calls dick
0: he's already nightwing at this point
1: he's not nightwing was not created until another decade
0: His former
1: his well yes he Before he became Nightwing, he was still Robin, college student, over here. Ah. So uh, she calls him up, and he decides to investigate as Robin, and Robin decides that he's going to still help her out by going over to Grey Towers, and he helps Bruce and Alfred break out, essentially. Uh, and along the way, Magda, the assistant, uh, ends up accidentally getting doused with a serum or injected with the serum of the Monster Men, and she kind of becomes her own monster, which I'm surprised Englehart never picked up on in terms of... Bringing her back in terms of her becoming another villain, but oh well. Uh, in the meantime, Hugo tries to profit off of auctioning off Batman's identity. Uh, so we see in the shadows who he's trying to get bids from uh, in terms of this auction. Uh, this is what inspired that Batman the Animated Series uh, episode over here.
3: Yeah, the is, strange uh, secret of Bruce Wayne.
1: Yeah, the secret of Bruce Wayne. Uh, on it, it was a, it's a man with a cigar in the shadow. Everybody, everything's in shadows. It's a great panels. A, a tobacconist? Huh? A tobacconist. Is it, Yes, a tobacconist, yes. Uh, the other one is a man with an umbrella. Mm-hmm. And the last one is a I man with purple
0: pants. The Hulk?
1: Yes, yes, exactly. It's the Hulk.
0: <laughs> purple pants! Crossover! Clearly, yes.
1: <laughs> you did study up on your marble during oh, the break. Oh,
0: there's many things in the crystal ball. Yes, so
1: they all throw in their bids in cash, and Strange <laughs> says that, hey, I've sprayed all of you with this chemical, Uh, So the next night, when I tell you who the winner is, uh, only the people with this chemical will be allowed in. Now, this seems kind of a throwaway line, but it actually pays off in a big way later on. Uh, Right after, though, uh, one of these guys decides that they're not going to play by the rules, and it's the man with the cigar, who, lo and behold, is Rupert Thorne, the tobacconist club. Rip Torn. Uh, Rip Torn, yes. So Rip Torn takes Hugo Strange. Wow. And um, he was busy in the 70s. Yes. Uh, And he basically tries to have his men beat the... Beat beat the shit out of Hugo so he can tell the secret to them about who Bruce Wayne's identity is. He's trying to go around trying to pay for it. Uh, And Hugo says that he doesn't deserve Batman's secret. In fact, he respects Batman too much to betray him. And as he says that, Hugo Strange dies. End of issue. That was quick. yes, so only two issues with <laughs> Hugo here, but he died uh, sooner than Alfred did. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I'm, but I'm gonna have Steve Enkelhart uh, tell us his interpretation of this ending that he wrote.
0: As far as anybody's concerned, let me just say, Hugo Strange is fucking dead here. I don't care if they brought him back and explained it. I hadn't even thought about the ghost at this point. The ghost was still to come, but he's dead. He's not coming back. No one in comics is ever really dead. But this guy, sure as fuck, is dead. (laughs) So yeah,
1: we'll dive then into... uh, Englehart is referring to the fact that they did bring back Hugo Strange and Rupert Thorne in the 80s in an arc by Jerry Conway. Uh, but we will focus that on a different deep dive. Today, we'll just focus on the Englehart stuff. But as far as we're concerned, as Englehart said, Hugo Strange is fucking dead. Fuck him! Yes. So, uh, the next Piece issue...
0: <laughs> Little strange boy. You
1: didn't really like Hugo Strange, then, Mr. Wizard.
0: He's no Mr. Phosphorus. Dr. Phosphorus, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot Dr. Phosphorus went to medical school. Yeah, he
1: did. You had to respect his uh, his training, his was, education. yes. yes. All right, so I do the next issue is called the melee penguin I wonder who the villain of this we're one is
0: not bearing the lead on this yes. one I'll tell you that uh, <laughs>
1: they revealed that two other vi- bidders that night for penguins for Batman's identity were penguin and of course the Joker that's who actually were in the purple pants by the way not the Hulk
0: oh in case you, thank, one. you for, <laughs> thank you for explaining that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know you were confused by that Mr. It Mr. was Mr. Very yes, confused yes yes uh, so penguin launches a scheme to steal what's called the melee penguin giving puzzles for Batman but it turns out that he only pretended he only pretends to go after the melee penguin when in reality he was hijacking a plane uh plus and Bane was already there and Bane was already there as in crushing this plane <laughs> uh,
0: someone must be in the wreckage brother yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, plus he already stole the melee penguin uh before it even came into Gotham uh, but Enkelhart felt this was an important story it's kind of a lighter story in the arc uh but he feels like penguin is the second big Batman villain uh, and that uh, Penguin usually had some sort of Riddler type thing of giving clues to Batman uh, for him to sort out, uh, sort of figure out what was going on, as opposed to Joker just going out and killing people. Uh, yeah, I so thought he... that was
3: really weird that the Penguin was leaving clues. and <laughs> yes. it seemed really out of character. This to me was like my least favorite story yeah. in the whole run. And it's
1: kind of a Riddler story. <laughs> It feels Yeah,
3: like. I, I love Penguin, Indeed. and I love the design of him in the Silver Age, but this one mm-hmm. just seemed kind of like a, a little bit of a drag as far as, like, not a lot going on.
1: Yeah, I think the plot is more interesting than the characterization yeah. of Penguin in this. Hmm. Uh, but hmm. one of the biggest important things here, which is referenced in what uh, Stephen Engelhard told us earlier... Uh, and the reason why it's called Strange Apparitions is that there's a scene that's very appropriate for Halloween where Rupert Thorne is in a meeting where we see. Uh, he's talking to them, and suddenly in the middle of it, he sees the ghost.
0: Boston Brand.
1: Not Boston Brand's <laughs> ghost, but the ghost of Hugo Strange. Oh. And Strange tells him he's coming for him.
3: <laughs> to bite
1: his ankle. To bat. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more to that. <laughs> uh, so apparently. Steve Englehart took inspiration from Dick Tracy comics on this plot point
0: of the ghost. Flat Top was a famous Dick Tracy villain, great, great Dick Tracy villain. And then enough time went by in real life that Gould, I don't like him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just a Gould, the Dick Tracy. <laughs> that,
0: that, that Gould decided to do Flat Top Junior, who was a juvenile delinquent in the 50s. In any event. He's with this sort of wise young girl named Skinny, and he eventually kills her, and then later he's haunted by her. Her ghost comes and haunts him. That all seemed legit to me to do in Batman. Just rip it straight the fuck out of that shit. He had been done in Dick Tracy. I've never tried to cover that up. That's where I got the idea, you see. I've thought, wouldn't that be cool if the ghost of Hugo Strange was now hanging around and it all ties to Boss Thor nicely? Thank you, Mr. Angleheart. Where's Skinny? (laughs) I want to see her again. She's part of Dick
1: Tracy. She's not part of this. We'll do that. Bring her on. We'll bring her up in the Dick Tracy deep deep dives.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> <That> <laughs>
4: mean,
1: right. I'm back. So the next one is the Deadshot Ricochet, uh, which was previously mentioned in our deep dive into Deadshot when we did the mini on the Telltale comic, Sins of the uh-huh. following. Uh Here's the funny thing uh, that a lot of people might not know. The Deadshot issue was originally not even supposed to happen. Angleheart was supposed to only do seven issues, but then they bumped it up to eight due to the popularity which Englehart was actually not happy with because that meant that he had to do more work, <laughs> of course.
0: I don't like work uh, at all.
1: So he was like, what do I do with this extra story? He ended up liking it because it gave him some more leeway with some more character moments. So you get some more scenes of Silver St. Cloud and Bruce Wayne. In fact, there's a very big scene with, Bruce, with Silver and Batman that you'll see later on. Uh, but the editor, Julie Swartz, suggested, what if you use the old school villain, Deadshot? Now, Deadshot had only showed up in one issue in the 1950s. And Marshall Rogers completely redesigns Deadshot in this issue that was never supposed to happen. He decides that uh, you know they're not going to go with the original Deadshot costume, which was the top, basically the Penguin's outfit: the top hat, the tuxedo, and just a domino mask like Robin's mask. Yes, and he looks kind
3: of like um like Zaz does too, in the very first appearance of Mister Zaz, like he's wearing a little tuxedo and a top hat. So, oh, in the last Arkham, oh
1: yeah. I guess so. So it is kind of this weird thing of these, these, all these killers in their top hats and their tuxedos and stuff. But
0: yeah, they decided old, to do something. Old, rich, white men. Yeah. Evilest motherfuckers on the planet. Yes. <laughs> so they decided to do... <laughs> the original gangsters, as it were. <laughs> yes.
1: So they decided to do something completely different with him, which is why they came up with the redesigned Deadshot with the, you know, the silver white mask and the red eye uh, type of thing. And that comes from the story. It comes from this run. Uh, Deadshot and Batman fight it out, and there's a reference was to... Was the
0: red eye originally a monocle?
1: Uh, no. However, Deadshot does steal uh, Penguin's monocle earlier in this, in this issue. There was some serialized storytelling going on where Penguin lands in prison because of the fact that he was caught at the end of the melee Penguin and is about to use the monocle to break out because apparently it's able to cut through bars and stuff. But uh, Floyd Lawton, Deadshot, takes it instead and cuts to the bars with it and ends up escaping and creating this costume that basically became the iconic Deadshot costume from now on. Um, they end up having a fight in what seems like a big tribute to the Golden Age, Silver Age, like, big prop stuff. So they're on a big fight on a typewriter, a giant typewriter, uh, during this time. And, famous? Yes. Uh, they, are, happen, they just happen to be at a convention run by Silver St. Cloud. Because she helped run conventions and stuff, and she sees Batman in action and recognizes his chin, and she says, "It has to be him. It's Bruce Wayne."
3: That chin,
1: that chin. Uh, so, uh, majestic
0: chin. That
1: this is partially because Engelhart thought that quote: "If you're sleeping with this guy on a regular basis, you know him pretty well, and you're probably very close to the bottom half." Of his face, quite a lot. Oh. Okay.
0: Uh, <laughs> just let me down a mental picture. <laughs> would not even need a crystal ball for that one. <laughs> so she felt
1: that he would... Uh, no, she felt he felt that she uh, would figure out pretty quickly who Batman would be, just based off of seeing his face. Which, again, never happened. Vicky Vale spent, like, decades trying to put Bruce Wayne and Batman together. Silver St. Cloud only needs one issue, apparently. Uh, and that's what leads <laughs> into the most famous story in this entire run which is the laughing fish ah. the laughing fish and the sign of the joker is a, is a two-parter actually most people just call it the laughing fish uh but it's actually a two-parter the second one being called the sign of the joker uh and it starts with um some very hot stuff batman goes to visit silver who is half naked in her bedroom again uh yeah this there's time, one horny woman <laughs> just i just with a towel on because we just got out of the shower Jesus. It could just be me, but I always thought this might have been me. I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional inspiration for the scene where Batman visits Chase Meridian in the Batman Forever, who's Mm, also half naked in it. mm, Because the the image of Batman visiting a half naked woman just was again was not a thing uh, beforehand.
0: They thought he was gay for a long time. Yeah,
1: well, this would have (laughs) definitely been better than better to add to try to offset that than adding. Batwoman, Bat Hyphen Girl, and Bat Mite and everybody like that.
0: But, Mr. Boring's seduction of the innocent novel almost put comics to rest <laughs> for a very long time. But
1: yeah, they that element is another thing that's striking about like there's a there's a feeling that as Jack said, like there's a feeling of maturity on here. Maturity. Yeah, a, a feeling of like this is these are adults speaking. Wolf we'll, who are also adding in some eye candy for the audience. especially for the teenage guys so (laughs) uh, Batman leaves but feels you know basically they they talk and there's a very awkward conversation because Batman's wondering if she knows that he's Bruce Wayne and she's wondering if he knows that she knows Uh, so Batman leaves and feels unsure uh, whereas she feels confident like oh my god he knows he's figured it out sort of thing and she decides that uh, she's not really sure what to do Uh, and that's kind of the prologue before Batman ends up coming across a fisherman who says hey Look at all our fish. They've got the Joker's faces on them.
0: Uh, This is weird. Yes. (laughs) Things get queerer and queerer. Uh,
1: Yes. Um, Which leads into a very iconic scene where the Joker shows up at the copyright office. Now, this scene was adapted in the animated series where uh, Joker reveals that he's been contaminated the fish and he seeks to get the copyright of them. That's his big scheme. He wants to make a lot of money because, you know, well... Actually, I'm going to let uh, the Joker explain it. Let's have the Joker oh, tell us what his plan is. we will be a treat, will
2: As I was saying, everybody's talking about my Joker fish. They all recognize the face. It's my fortune. Even on a flounder's fizz. And since I plan to continue secretly dumping the chemical that gives the fish my face... The little finnies are permanently identified with me. No matter what they once were, they're now just joker fish. So, once we throw out all your tedious copyright forms, I'll get a cut of every fish sale in America. A nickel per fish sandwich, 50 cents for fillet of soul, millions of dollars a day to finance my, frankly, hidden mystic lifestyle, and all so simple. What a joke! <laughs>
1: J- J- Joker, it's it's impossible.
2: What? Impossible, you say? No. N- nobody can copyright fish, or even fish faces. They're a natural resource. I warn you, Francis. Don't cause me to become angry. I, I can't help it. It's the law but the fish share my unique face. If Colonel Watts' name can have chickens when they don't even have mustaches. And you deny this to me, you see why I'm forced to crime. You have until midnight to change your mind, Francis. If you don't, you'll be the poorest fish of all. And dead as a mackerel!
1: <laughs> Absolutely diabolical. It's very diabolical. So yeah, that was that was the full uncut version of the big scene between him and copyright uh, executive G. Carl Francis. The animated series did do a version, however, that was uh, kind of truncated and adapted uh, for uh, the animated series by Paul Dini. Uh, but yeah, G. Carl Francis basically is not super down for this, but uh, Joker threatens him to kill him at midnight. So everybody shows up at G. Carl Francis' place uh, where gas sprays in and Batman tries to save him. However, no matter what happens, G. Carl Francis dies.
3: Now, how That's does it
1: happen? Yes. Uh, yes, indeed, Mr. Wizard. Uh, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> indeed. Uh, but this part might sound familiar for those who have watched Batman 89 over and over and over again. Uh, where Batman as explains, yes, as I did, uh, as a kid, where he explains how is it that in a room full of people only one guy died from this gas. So uh, Batman quotes, and I'll do it as Keaton, since this is ties into 89. He says, quote, It's one part of a binary compound. Each part harmless itself, but when they're mixed, they create a poison. The Joker must have secretly sprayed him with the other gas when he threatened him at noon, so only he in a room full of people would react. So... This is very much a, like Batman number one. Uh, the very first appearance of Joker where he would do this type of stuff. He would announce he's going to kill somebody and he's going to kill them. And Englehart is kind of updating that uh, for here. Uh, however, Englehart sort of claims that this is the first instance of Joker being a homicidal lunatic. So,
0: And his first diabolical plan is to have fish with lipstick on their gills? Yes, exactly.
1: Yes. That's Great. Big, <laughs> it, it was his way to reinvent the character did
0: the fish swim through the ace chemical is that how it happened
1: it's not explained actually
0: (laughs) i don't like that yes
1: i don't like it either (laughs) uh in the 1940s uh he was kind of a regular gangster who was out to steal diamonds and jewels it
0: would be just so easy to have them swim through the ace chemical
1: maybe that's what they do didn't
0: the fish say love that joker (laughs) (laughs) then that would be ability to talk it's yeah, like, love that talking. Joker yes. and hate bats.
1: <laughs> they should have just put that in the commercial. Uh, yes. In the yeah, in the 1950s and 1960s, he was more of a prankster and didn't kill anyone. And the storyline, the Joker's Five for revenge by uh, Denny O'Neill of art by Neil Adams in the 70s—that's the one that's sort of credited as making Joker the homicidal lunatic because that's the one where uh, Joker was sent to prison due to a testimony uh, through one of his men, and he doesn't know which one, so he just decides, you know what. One of my henchmen betrayed me. I'm just gonna kill all of them. Uh, so to be square. Anglerheart believes, however, that the Laughing Fish made the bigger impact than the Joker's 5 A revenge. Uh, so this is what he
0: uh, said about that. It was an excellent Adams O'Neill story, but the Joker, he was more dangerous, but he was not crazy. The plot involved pollution. I mean, it was a mid-70s Denny O'Neill story, right? It wasn't a 1940s pulp thing, those things are shit. I get asked that a lot. Well, O'Neill and Adams did that, and they did. But again, I could speak to this now with more knowledge than I had. Everybody said, well, that's nice, and it changed nothing. The Joker ended up getting his own comic book series where he was the nice villain who fought even worse villains. And you know, it was like it didn't change anything. If the Joker's five-way revenge had had a bigger impact and changed things, then yeah. But it was just a 1970s Batman story by O'Neill and Adams, which were usually pretty cool. And it was in its own way, but it didn't have this whole pulp atmosphere that I wanted. I changed my mind about pulp. But I wanted the I
1: wanted the darkness and pulp. I'm glad you changed your mind on the pulp, Mr. Eggleston. Yes,
0: midway through. I've decided I was wrong. It's rare, but it happened. <laughs>
1: um so there's a bit of dispute now in terms of who created this more homicidal maniac joker on here i'm assuming you've also read the joker's wife of revenge zach
3: oh of course i've got this big purple it looks like a bible but it's like the greatest joker stories ever told stacked deck volume and that's Ah, the first time i read it and as Mm. a kid when i read it i was like oh the ending of this is kind of like the laughing fish and then the yeah. Laughing Fish story is also in that, so I was like, "Oh, so they, they just combined the two together Indeed. to make the mm-hmm. Laughing Fish animated series episode." So, yeah, both of them are really good.
1: Yeah, they're. they're I'd say they're both in combination of both are responsible. Uh, but I think in some way, it's like Joker's Five of Revenge kind of started it, but Laughing Fish. Sometimes it takes a second thing, you know, for something to feel like it's be- trending or so becoming a new cool. thing. Yeah. So I think it, it, I think Engelhart's point. Kind of stands. I don't know if I want to credit him fully with all of it, uh, but I'd say the point still stands that uh, he helped create it. He helped make move that forward in terms of the characterization of the Joker. Uh, so, as I mentioned, for anybody who is familiar with the animated series episode of The Laughing Fish, this feels very familiar because this is exactly what they adapted. Uh, and just like in that animated series episode that would happen later, he kills the next guy uh, in line when uh, Batman switches places with him uh, and you get this weird image of uh, everybody's sort of circling around the victim or the future victim and then this cat comes in with one of the laughing fish in its teeth and the cat is possessed uh, by the Joker Venom the
0: cat, it's a laughing cat now. yes
1: and the laughing cat attacks <laughs> Batman
0: uh,
1: and because it turns out it's Batman switched places with him so it's the victim in the bat suit. because even under... Uh, the bat suit, the cat still recognized who his real owner was, and that's what Joker was relying on. Uh, so that creates a great twist, and I thought it was done really well as well in the animated series adaptation of this. Uh, but funny enough, the animated series adaptation only pretty much adapts it up until that point, and then everything else is pretty much the um, is pretty much the Joker's revenge, as I mentioned. Uh, but Batman goes off to find Joker, and here's where things get weird. He ends up seeing the ghost of Hugo Strange. So, as I said, you, Rupert Thorne is not the only person who can see this ghost. And it turns out the ghost has left him uh, what looks like a device called a vapor analysis meter. And Engelhort sort of leaves you off in terms of this mystery. Okay, what is this?
0: Sounds What's like going a, on? Yeah. Egon would develop such a device. Yes. It's a Ghostbuster type of thing. <laughs> uh, in the meantime. A G meter, is that what it's called? No.
1: In I the forget, movie or? In
0: Ghostbusters.
1: Oh, I don't know.
0: I forget. We're yeah. going to get emails about this one. <laughs> yes. Uh, meanwhile, Rupert
1: Thorne is trying to escape from Gotham, and that's when he's trying to. like At, at some point, there's this weird coincidence where he ends up. Um, Silver St. Cloud is hitchhiking, and he ends up giving her a ride in his car, and they have an argument about Batman for like two pages, and then he kicks her out.
0: Sounds boring. <laughs> it's actually not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll take your word for it, ben I want Taylor. action. Yes. I need action more, constantly. More
1: Batman versus Joker. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, Rupert Thorne tries to go for the next hitchhiker, and he realizes it's not a hitchhiker. It's Hugo Strange. And Hugo Strange's ghost flies towards the windshield.
0: Terrified. And goes towards That's his throat. That's more horse. like it, heart. Yes.
1: yes. Uh, and he says, you're mine now. And the next thing we hear it is that Thorne has shown up to the GCPD and confessed all of his crimes. Uh, so in a weird way, Hugo Strange ends up helping Batman in the end, at least at the end of this story with the with the laughing person signing the do thing. Such a thing as that, been? Uh, Well, I think he wants revenge on Rupert Thorne for killing him. Uh, so so that's probably a big enemy, of my, enemy of
0: my enemy is my friend. and Pretty whatnot. Much, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, and so Batman is at home, uh, at the home of the next uh, victim. Or it seems like it's Commissioner Gordon's home. It's not really clear where he's at. Uh, but he uses he's using this device. That his mistress's house. His mistress's house. Yeah, exactly. Because silver st. Clouding. His only one that he's dating. <laughs> uh, so he's got this. Uh, he's got the meter, and it goes off on one of the cops, and he corners the cop. And the cop, again, this is very common. Again, Mission Impossible style. The cop takes off his face, and it's not Hugo Strange this time. It's the Joker, uh, and we reveal that Batman knew. That it was the Joker because... (laughs) It was him on a wall. Yes, because Hugo's vapor (laughs) analysis meter. Remember when I said in the Hugo Strange bidding that everybody was sprayed with a chemical? Yes. Yes. Apparently Batman knew that. I don't know how. Uh, He knew that it was sprayed uh, with the chemical and the analysis meter showed who had who still had the chemical on it. Who had that particular chemical on it. So, again, Hugo Strange is weirdly helping out Batman in this instance. Uh... It's weird because, again, Batman didn't know that there was that spray. And also it implies, since this takes place sometime after the bidding, Joker apparently has never taken a shower since uh, the bidding, since the auction. (laughs) So, I don't know. Explain that to us, Mr. J. It pans out. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then it leads into this big climactic fight in the lightning storm where I got to set this up. I had to have Zach say this line. It's It's a hilarious line in today's. Uh, day and age, but uh, the Joker Ooh. basically taunts Batman with this line
2: You can't beat the Joker, fool! The Joker is Trump! And not the one you're thinking about.
0: <laughs> so, my goodness, they must have had a crystal ball when they wrote this. I <laughs> so, yeah, that's what's right now. It has all the telltale signs of a crystal ball owner. Funny enough, Englehart
1: had the line, the Joker is Trump, in another story. Uh, later on Perhaps
0: he's a fan Yes He uh, loves real estate tycoons <laughs>
1: Probably uh, But during this fight uh, Again, it's during a lightning storm uh, Lightning strikes the Joker And he falls uh, Into water, of course Because he's not really dead uh, Some, But yeah, I think the Laughing Fish animated episode Tried to do something similar with that Except instead of lightning storm It was the whole shark thing uh, At the end of that episode They're trying to do the same thing uh, and after the, it turns out that this whole fight has been witnessed by silver saint cloud and she has a heart to heart with batman where she brings up she couldn't bear you know she knows who he is she knows that he knows she knows that he's bruce wayne and she couldn't bear to lose him and not know whether he would live or die any night and so she can't continue this anymore and she ends up leaving batman and that's the end of the story <laughs> sad very sad uh what are your thoughts so far on Silver St. Cloud, Mr. Wizard.
0: Well, I think she's one horny woman showing up naked at all hours of the night. (laughs) Keep in mind, that's at her home. Oh. (laughs) Bruce Wayne's showing up and she's already naked. (laughs) Well, she's still very horny. Which is great. (laughs) But I wonder if it's a case of Englehart's just loving to write to write that, or Marshall Rogers drawing it because I don't know how much guess. of that was
1: was dictated in the script.
0: Our female listeners out there, please let us know what you think of the details of this. <laughs> uh, but yes, very good so far. I love Ghost Strange yes. the most probably. Yes, <clears throat> a man of science becomes a ghost. Do they ever not hit the on that? Uh, no, Aspect.
1: not this one. I would say. Okay. Uh, Zach, what are your thoughts on Saint Cloud?
2: I think she's a solid 10. A real hot tomato. (laughs) (laughs) 10
0: plus. A 10 plus broad, that's (laughs) it. (laughs) That's where where
1: Bob King got it from, I guess. Um, No, I
3: I actually like her character because she seems, like we talked about, she's a little bit more savvy than all of his other Mm -hmm. love interests have been in the comics so far. And she's already deduced his identity and she's, you know, she's not just like a damsel in distress. So that's already uh, a plus for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So she's
0: considered to be one of the 10 plus broad.
1: (laughs) She's considered to be one of the, the better, well, probably one of the best civilian Bruce Wayne love interests. I mean, it's hard to top Catwoman Talia really. But uh, if you're a non-costumed, Character in this, uh, then certainly Silver St. Cloud is, is one of the smarter ones in there. Um, the trade
0: paperback. Best Detective yeah, by Shenz alone.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm going to move
0: <laughs> the comic over here
1: so the audiences can still see it. But this Strange Apparition trade paperback has two additional issues in it, uh, written, however, not by Steve Englehart, but uh, by Len Ween. Uh, and God. the art is still by Marshall Rogers, a but uh, yes, yeah, w- creator Wolverine also wrote uh, the Untold Legend of the Batman, which is one of the comics that introduced me to the character, uh, in, at least the comic book version. Uh, and uh, Batman is basically recovering from his breakup with Silver Saint Cloud. In it, he's going ape shit on criminals because his heart has been broken. <laughs> and uh, as you usually do when Gary your heart is broken, you, you, you just go ape shit on cries. criminals. Yes, uh, and he ends up fighting Preston Payne, aka Clayface Three. This is the clayface who uh, he basically makes you burn when he touches you.
0: How many clayfaces are there in total, Ben? I think there's six. Five or six? Yeah. That's way too many. There's an army (laughs) of clayfaces.
1: You would think they would have done more stories with just the dynamics of clayfaces, but I can't really find. There's not like a whole list of the greatest clayface stories of all time, considering that there's six of them.
3: I think they actually have recently released a like Arkham Clayface oh, yeah, collection. Yeah. I did see that, and I flipped through it at one point. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure they haven't collected the stories of every single one of them, but they did, like, have the various Clayfaces in that collection, so it wasn't just, like, Basil Carlo or Matt Hagen. It, it showed yeah. the different ones, so that was kind of cool.
1: That's good. That's good, though. Uh But, yeah, this is mainly uh, Clayface 3 here, but that is uh, the... Pretty much all of Strange Apparitions on that side. However, that is not the end of our discussion, uh, or discussion on Englehart. Uh, First off, The Laughing Fish has a sequel that not a lot of people know about, so this is another addition to superior Stuff Do You Know. He wrote in the year 2000 uh, a sequel for Legends of the DC Universe. It's a two-parter, and it's called The Fishy Laugh. Okay. Yes, pencils by Trevor von Eden, inks by Joe Rubinstein. That reveals what happened after Joker fell into the water when he got electrocuted by lightning. Ah. He got found by Arthur Curry. Whoa. He got found by Aquaman. So this is an Aquaman story. Uh, that's a because sequel to the it's Laughing Fish. fish. Related, I it's see. fish related. Yeah. Uh, With, so he
0: tries to talk to the fish? Uh, fish.
1: Joker. Well, he Aquaman apparently doesn't know who Joker is. So oh, Joker okay. claims that he is king of the land dwellers, and the whole reason why that there, there's laughing fish is that um, he, uh, you know, everybody wanted to honor the king by making all the fish look like him.
0: The logic checks out. Yes, <laughs> Arthur Fos falls, falls for this immediately. Correct? He, he
1: does fall for it immediately because he's not the world's greatest detective.
0: No, he is. All not. of
1: the kingdom of Atlantis ask Joker for Joker's help, and this is, it's a lot of weird dynamics of people worshipping the Joker because they think he's the king of the landowners. It sounds land fun. There's a, uh, there's a woman who falls in love with Joker, an Atlantean who falls in love with Joker. Uh, <laughs> Zach's mind has been blown here. <laughs>
0: what, what, are you, what is this? I have never heard this before. Oh, what if Ben was making all of this up. <laughs> You'll have to find out, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: he's went over the people, and Joker asked to stay in Atlantis for a long time where he starts seeding doubts among the other Atlanteans about Aquaman's fitness as a ruler. And he apparently is able to manipulate them quickly enough and longer, you know, well enough to have them kick and banish Arthur from Atlantis and instigate a new ruler named Losca because Joker doesn't want to be the king of Atlantis. He only wants to advise the king of Atlantis. Ah, uh,
3: I see. Too many responsibilities, yes. you know? Yes. So
1: uh, Aquaman gets banished and realizes the Joker has been behind it all. Again, World's Greatest Detective here. Uh, <laughs> so he goes back to Gotham, and where that's where he encounters Batman. Batman, I guess, is still reeling from the breakup of Silver St. Cloud here because he's kind of an asshole to Aquaman, more so than usual uh, on it. <laughs> Aquaman shows up to ask for Batman's help, and Batman's uh, response is to pick a fight with Aquaman. And <laughs> Aquaman's like, why? And Batman says, well, yeah, I wanted to see what you were made of. If I can beat you. He can beat you, uh, that type of thing. Uh, but they decide that uh, they're going to make a deal. Batman's going to let Aquaman get his first crack at Joker in exchange. Aquaman
0: has no kryptonite, so perhaps harder than Superman. Potent- yeah, potentially. That fight between yes. those two heroes. Uh,
1: in exchange for the location, yeah, he Batman wants uh, in exchange for the location of Atlantis. Yeah, he's going to allow Aquaman to take the first crack at Joker. So, uh, I guess Batman, for whatever reason, really wants to go to Atlantis. Or he just wants to find some information about that type like of stuff. Sounds like a fun time. Uh, So Aquaman goes back in the water and attacks Joker with fish. And here's a really cool element. Actually, Joker is used to fighting on land. He's not used to fighting in the water.
0: Who, who is except for Aquaman? Exactly. So Aquaman <laughs> actually
1: does beat him in his own game. However, the that woman
0: sounds pretty easy. Actually,
1: With the woman named uh, the woman who was in love with him named Falua.
0: Aquaman also has near Superman strength. Does he yes. not? Uh, <laughs> Just about the same. Seems this is a one and done situation. Really. Joker does not fare very well. However, he gets
1: rescued by Falua, the woman who is in love with him. kalua Falua.
0: Thalua. Falua. F e
1: l u a, not Kalua like see. the uh, you know the liquor. Uh, so, liqueur. liqueur, Yes. Yes. So, uh, Joker, you have um, you have a new girlfriend, an Atlantean girlfriend. This uh,
3: that is like the bis- most bizarre part of the whole story That <laughs> I mean Harley Quinn is a stretch already that a woman finds a Joker attractive <laughs> and it's yes. like I don't get it <laughs> many, king, many yeah.
0: women do the South that's true, Bad yeah, but that's there is a phenomenon of a certain subset percentage of some women <laughs> that I wonder if I'm going to keep this in Continue, but wizard. let me keep going <laughs> <laughs> the uh <laughs> that enjoy serial killers
1: oh yeah I thought you were just going to go into ones who have crushes on the Joker
0: oh no not that that oh, one it's would have been it's all related actually but <laughs> do they
2: hang out to at Hot Topic
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes they, it's a it's, it's the bad boy lifestyle to the extreme
1: mm, yes that's true you need to get
2: true. on Tinder then <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, Falua is out there waiting for you. Or is she? Because the, the final panel is Batman finding the dead body of Falua.
0: With a Joker she group. drowned somehow. She, yeah, with a Joker. Good cover-up. An Atlantean drowned. Think better next time, then, Joker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the Joker's never been one to, uh, you know, be humble and, uh, you know, try to hide his crimes anyway. So, uh, <laughs> fun
0: fact, Hart Proud of his work. As
1: it were uh, Englehart hates this story
0: Did he write it himself? He, he wrote was... it himself, oh, yes why? Oh, because it was a time crunch and he just wanted <laughs> I to... think so He said that he
1: had a, <laughs> he had some conflicts with DC And I think he just He said, quote, it's just bullshit I don't recommend it at all
0: <laughs> now, I've enjoyed the summary thus far Yes,
1: yes uh, But that's my, my summary of it um, But yeah, as we talked about There were two adaptations of the Strange Apparitions uh, comics at least official ones. The first one being uh, The Laughing Fish adapted by Paul Dini. We covered the main uh, differences there between the comic and the co- and the uh, episode. And the other one is The Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne adapted by David Wise, which is a lot different from the original story. Personally, I think Hugo Strange is less of a villain in that one. He's a lot less menacing. Uh, he's kind of just, he's just a, Greedy dude who capitalizes on an opportunity. Is he bald? Uh, he's still bald. He kind of looks more hunchbacked. Like he, this is not like Hugo Strange, who looks like he could get away with wearing the bat suit. Yeah, or, he's not
3: very physically imposing. He right. has this little lumpy egg head, and he's all mm-hmm. like hunched over. And he, you know, by the end of the episode, he gets. Kidnapped and stuff. So yeah, yeah, not the same Hugo Strange as in the comic.
1: No, 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 no. I think I think a way better Hugo Strange was the one in in the Batman cartoon in two thousand four, where it was Frank Gorshin uh, as Good Hugo age. Strange. Uh, but again, they also did not draw him as physically imposing in that. So
0: he uses his mind. Yes,
1: he's I, I guess. But the I love the idea of him powers, trying. You
0: don't know about that, do you?
1: Uh, no, don't try to rub <laughs> it in. <laughs>
0: Wow, that's
1: something you should know, then. Uh, Two Face ended up replacing Rupert Thorne, I guess because he was a more, you know, he's a more flashy villain uh, for that. Um, And it was all because Hugo Strange found out through this mind machine that he uh, had that read into Batman's mind. Uh, He isn't killed because it's a kid's cartoon, but he is disproven because Bruce hooks up his own mind. Uh, that has and makes up the idea that Hugo Strange is like, ha, let me just pretend that I know Batman's true identity and all these suckers will give me this money. And of course, Joker, Penguin, and Two-Face aren't too happy about it. Dummies. Uh, It also (laughs) is the episode with the famous exchange of Two-Face and Joker where Two-Face says, get out of my face, clown. And Joker asks, which one?
2: Which one? Yes. (laughs) Wow.
1: Yes. Burn. Harvey hasn't been burned like that since uh, the Two-Face episode. So Dick Grayson dresses up as Bruce Wayne in order to make Hugo Strange think that he's duped at the very end. So that helps solve it. Um, I think one of my favorite moments, though, that you can interpret is, and I have to credit uh, About Faces on Tumblr and Live Journal for this, uh, but there's a part where Two-Face doesn't believe when Hugo Strange says that Bruce Wayne is Batman.
0: He says, did you just say Tumblr? Yes, on Tumblr. How yes. often do you check Tumblr? Only
1: on About Paces is Tumblr.
0: Wow. <laughs> Tumblr seems to be something more of the early 2010s. What did you say? He's still on there, though. Wow. Uh, he... I mean, it's enjoyable, but not as popular as it once was.
1: Are you a fan of Tumblr?
0: I used to be. <laughs> there was, in there the was a fuck yeah Batman, Dr. <laughs> Tumblr. Do you, do you remember that one? Yes. Absolutely. Yes, okay, yes. everybody in agreement. Yes,
1: yes, we are. Um, but there's a part where Two-Face in the episode says that if, if Bruce Wayne is Batman, then he's the king of England. Basically, he's disproving that Bruce Wayne is Batman. And about Face's interpretation is Two-Face is trying to cover up for his good old buddy Bruce. Which is kind of cool. Uh, you, you would have to kind of... Go into the fact that this Harvey would secretly know that Bruce Wayne is Batman the whole time in order to do that, but you know who knows. I, I like that idea though. But yeah, that's the strange secret of Bruce Wayne. However, Engelhart claims that the 1989 Batman movie is an adaptation of his run, so we're going to go we're going to deep dive into that side of things. So I'm going to bring little Keaton over here for you guys to see as we talk about it. Uh, so this is going to be a quick recap of our 1989 Batman deep dive. Uh, you guys check out in the records uh, the episode called uh, Ben Reads or Reviews the Batman Script from 1982 Uh, but that was that was a script from the early 1980s one of our
0: most popular episodes yes Uh,
1: Tom Mankiewicz was one of the first screenwriters on what would become the 1989 Batman movie and both Rupert Thorne and Silver St. Cloud were part of it Uh, Rupert Thorne uh, was presented still as a politician who turns out to be dirty, uh, pretty true to that. However, this version was tied into Batman's origin as being the one who was responsible for hiring, uh, eventually hiring Joe Chill to off Thomas. Well, not Jack Napier in this version, uh, but Joe Chill. But Joker was also involved at the same time. It's a weird thing. Uh, the Joker in that script was kind of like the Joaquin Phoenix Joker, only in the fact that he uh, was existed as Joker during the time that Thomas Wayne was still alive. I uh, see. So, very interesting. But other than that, he was a little bit more Cesar Romero style uh, in terms of the jokes and stuff.
0: And he have a mustache.
1: Uh, it's not specified in the script. Week.
0: Well, I don't like that bit. Yes, I know. Uh,
1: Silver St. Cloud was uh, also in it. She has a moment that was inspired by Ursula Andrus's introduction in Dr. No, where she Sean Connery's James Bond watched her come out of the beach. In a bikini, oh. Silver St. Cloud was introduced in a very similar very way famous. in this one, yes. Uh, Silver St. Cloud was the intern for Rupert Thorne, and in this version, Rupert Thorne had, was in a love triangle with Silver St. Cloud and Bruce Wayne, which is kind of disgusting considering that uh, Thorne is probably old enough to be her dad. Uh, Gross. On, yes.
0: She loves rich men, is that what it is?
1: Apparently, but she also does figure out—I <laughs> was just laughing at Zach's expression— <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, that's gross she (laughs) also figures out Batman's secret identity through his chin so that still stays in Uh, but that's pretty much uh, where we're at in terms of the Mankiewicz script Uh, but that was not the end of it because
0: Silver St. Cloud was the original version of Vicky Vale uh,
1: in terms of the movie because Vicky Vale was still a character in the comics since the 40s alright but is
0: there any Silver St. Cloud in that Vicky Vale
1: uh, we'll go into that in, in a little oh. bit. I'm going chronological here. So, after the Mankiewicz script. We uh, don't
0: see things in terms of chronological well, time to, as a wizard. I'm talking all to mortals here. Happens at once. <laughs> Much like, uh, that blue man, Dr. Manhattan.
1: Yes. Well, Steve Englehart uh, apparently got contacted in 1986. Uh,. He got a call from Genet Con, it said, basically saying that everybody was trying to adapt his stories. They were trying to adapt the Strange Apparitions run. But, quote, none of them could capture what you did. So she offered Englehart $10,000 to serve as a script doctor for the Batman 1989 movie. Um, he read the make script, uh, script, and he felt that they did pretty much base it off of his Batman run. However, they committed what he felt was the same mistake, which was... Quote, they couldn't resist sliding into comic book movie shtick, making things funny that if you actually thought about them were much better serious, easing the vibe rather than pressing it.
0: But eighty-nine Batman was not all too funny.
1: It wasn't, but remember he was reading the script by Mankowitz.
0: Oh yes. Uh, which still
1: had like the giant typewriter at the end, which is oh. probably because of the, the... Makeowitz probably read that in the Dead Shot story. Oh. Um but he marked it up and uh, the next thing they did was they asked him to plot out the movie. So Englehart wrote two treatments for the movie. Um, except in addition to Batman Joker and Silver Zing Cloud, they wanted him to include the Penguin and Robin in it too. Because <laughs> they wanted to front load okay. this movie. Okay, for this kill. Is, yeah. They they there was no remember, there was no like, let's save it for the sequel. We don't know if there's gonna be a sequel. There were no real comic book movies outside of Superman, the Christopher Reeve movies at that time.
0: Superman and the Mole Men. Yes.
1: Uh, but no, the
0: ones afterwards. Shazam TV series. Yes. Um,
1: he said, he thought that was too much. He claims that he, that he told them that was too much, but they said, just stick to what we tell you. So he wrote that version, and uh, they're like, you know what, you were right, do another one where it's just Batman, uh, Joker, and Silver St. Cloud. Uh, and he did that, quote unquote, culminating in a finale that was drawn from my original, but more of a showcase for Keaton and Nicholson. Uh, we have read and we've gone over that in our Deep Dive for the 89 movie where one of the treatments ends in a similar way to Sign of the Joker where Batman and Joker are in a fight uh, in a lightning storm except it's set in like a Coney Island style carnival this time uh, and Joker ends up falling into the water Silver St. Cloud then breaks up with Batman same dialogue as in the run and then he goes off with Robin and that's the end of at least that treatment
3: consolation uh-huh. prize there
1: yes yeah, yeah he can't get with silver so we might as well get with robin
0: <laughs> i know it
1: so uh and after he wrote that treatment that was that was it and uh they tim burton then hired sam ham to write the script for the 89 batman movie and quote three years passed and batman hit the screens so ankle uh, goes in sort of expecting something different from what he ends up seeing. He says quote, I found out for the first time that Silver had had her name changed to Vicki Vale and Boss Thorne had had his name changed to Boss Grissom, who's the Jack Palance character. Uh, quote There was a lot more shtick than had been in the last script that I saw, but still a lot less than had been in superhero movies to that point. There was no mention of me or Marshall or Terry, Terry Austin being the, uh, the anchor there. So, supposedly, Rupert Thorne was uh, turned into Carl Grissom over here, according to Englehart. He's the only one who claims that. Uh, The main thing that I see, I mean, there's obvious similarities in the fact that Grissom is a mob boss. uh, In the fact that uh, Grissom also gets sort of haunted by somebody who we thought was dead uh, when when Jack Napier comes back as the Joker. Uh, Grissom is also described as being fat in the original script. Uh, which is not Jack Palance, but is Rupert Thorne. Uh, you could say, yeah, as I talked about, Thorne getting his comeuppance from Strange could be similar to Grissom getting his comeuppance from Joker. Uh, in terms of the similarities of Silver St. Cloud being supposedly switched out with Vicki Vale, that's a little tougher considering the fact that Vicki Vale had been in the comics for several decades uh, on it. However, if I were to point out similarities, both women meet Bruce at his party, where he then has to leave and be Batman for a bit. Uh, both make him consider a serious relationship while he's being Batman, and both figure out Bruce Wayne's identity. Eventually, however, they both leave him because of that. Uh, Vicky Vale not on screen and not in the eighty nine movie, but in between eighty nine and Batman Returns, um, as well as other interesting connections. All I found was that you know Joker's toxin toxin having more than one component, as I read up earlier, uh, is in the movie with the whole um, all the different cosmetics when put together in a certain combination would Kill people, uh, and then the only other one after that I found was the way that Batman swings his legs up to take out the uh, the thug who was nearly you know beating him at the end of the movie at the top of the cathedral where he swings his legs up and then brings the guy over. Batman uses that same move on Deadshot in the comic, uh, but uh, I will let Engelhart say this last part here before we render our verdict.
0: The official line is that Batman 89 was based on a bunch of runs, including mine, of course, Marshall's and Terry's. There are certainly hat tips in other directions, but all anyone has to do is read the comics and then watch the movie. And of course, they needed me and only me to get the movie made. So to sum it all up, I created the adult Batman which Marshall and Terry turned into the comic. And in so doing, I created the blockbuster superhero movie. Of course, naturally. Which the film guys turned into the film. I kept Batman 89 as close to what what had inspired everyone as I could while operating through a conduit. And the movie does focus on a bruce wayne with a shadowed inner life a strong sexy woman who is silver saint cloud except in name a crime boss who is boss thorn except in name and a truly insane joker all in a pulp dark milieu you're welcome thank you mr engelhardt
3: so the nice of
1: him yes so i propose to the group then what do you think what is your verdict? is batman 89 based off of strange apparitions
0: zachary you go first uh
3: not as much as engelhart would like to think Agreed. i i guess i i've read that too where he, all the things that he said um claiming that it was based on his work i think in, in the end product not so much
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But I mean, he does have some claims there that check out. I think it's—you it, could say it was loosely based on some of the storylines within Strange Apparitions, but it's definitely not a direct copy or ripoff of it, as as I think he he probably feels in his mind. Right, Mister Wizard.
0: There are some similarities, indeed, but I would have to agree—not enough. For him to get any extra royalties, that's for sure. Right, yeah. It's... Yes, I. that's all I have to say, indeed. <laughs> yes.
1: So I think our verdict is that we disagree with Englehart here. Yes, there's some inspiration, Engel but there's... <laughs> shit. Maybe <laughs> he could listen at some point.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm sorry, Mr. Englehart.
1: Sex so got a point. Um, yeah, so... Uh, this is this is one where I've, I str- I every single t- I almost feel like after reading this I want to pop in the movie and see if there's any more connections every single time uh, because of these claims, and it's it's one where I think the movie there's so much iconic stuff about the movie, but it doesn't it comes from so many different people. Not just the comics, but also the people behind the scenes, the people in front of the camera. The inkers. Uh, yes, the, yes, the inkers.
0: Let <laughs> us not forget them. <laughs> um,
1: we certainly did it during No Man's Land. No, did um, not. But uh, it's it's one of those where I think he... I, I think a lot of this is frustration that when people talk about the character, not a lot of people outside of hardcore comic fans really talk about Steve Englehart or Marshall Rogers. Uh, and... I can't deny that it had a big impact in terms of the history of the character and all of that. I wish that they had more credit for that than for anything in the actual movies because I still think as we said, like the the connections are kind of loose at best and you also don't know how much of this is just coincidence. Like how much did Sam Ham really read uh, this arc and be like, "Oh, you know, they meet at a party. I got to have Bruce and Vicky meet at a party too." Like where else are you going to introduce Bruce Wayne as in terms of a public figure? It makes sense to introduce the two main characters uh, and the love story that way. Anyway, so I'm like, eh, I don't know how much of this is actually from this run. So I, I can see how I can see how Ham can believe that they didn't really get much from this comic, and I can see how Englehart can believe that they got everything. Uh, from him because he's probably looking into like all the different things that are somewhat close to his arc. But uh, I would say that I agree with uh, both of you guys here. It is it's not enough for me to say that uh, to say yes on whether or not it, it was a ripoff. It was this.
0: mainly Sam Ham's oeuvre, yes, correct. Yes,
1: with elements of the Dark Knight Returns as well as the uh, the Bob Kane, Bill Finger, Jerry Robinson run. Uh, there's a lot. There are images of, and you'll find this on Batman Online because I contributed to that article where they did the the comic book comparisons between the um the 39 comics and the images of that versus the ones of tim burton that that tim burton brought to life in that movie so i would say it's a whole combination of those so that is yeah no he
3: he credited the killing joke quite a bit at the beginning too whenever he was talking about the look of the film and Mm -hmm. to me like I, i i get what he's saying as far as the style but i guess he's really just talking about the joker and the uh the access chemicals like origin Right, um, yeah. because I don't really like see a whole lot else as far as uh, his a lot, influence yeah. on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's one of those where they, there's a lot of talk of certain influences that don't quite come across in the movie, uh, which is weird. Uh, like it always makes me want to rewatch the movie just to see like, did I miss something here? Is there some other connection to the Killing Joke or Strange Apparitions or any of these that I didn't know about? So that's Steve Englehart on uh, Strange Apparitions and Batman '89, but that is not the only. Uh, Englehart deep dive that we're going to do. The next sequel that he did as I mentioned was on Dark Detective which was written in 2005 and Englehart claims, as we talked about in our Dark Knight vs. Comics series, Englehart claims that the Dark Knight is based off of Dark Detective so we will... Yes. Of course, I steal all of his work even though he doesn't own a single (laughs) bit of it. He did reinvent a lot of different things as we talked about here, but I wouldn't say that it crossed over necessarily into the movies as much as he says. Uh, But, like if anything he, like Marshall Rogers should get more credit for the Deadshot redesign on that costume. Like, I I see how that makes sense. Uh, But claiming about the Dark Knight I guess we'll see when we get to that episode. Hmm. So stay Amazing. tuned for part two. And that is superhero stuff you should know.
0: Happy Halloween, everyone. Thanks again for joining us on this most stupendous of holidays. We would like to thank, of course, Kooky Noms, Matt Herring, Elijah B, Shamrock Balls, Aaron Willett, Ian H. Dan D. Leom O. And Super Inframan. Please join the Shasta Army. The $1 tier. On Patreon.com. SuperheroStuffPod. Leave us a review. In iTunes. And. Please record us something. On your phone. With your voice recorder app. And email that to. SuperhousePodcast. At gmail.com. And you shall be on an upcoming episode. We are also on Superhero Stuff You Should Know on YouTube. And that fine young gentleman known as Andrew that's usually here, his personal Instagram and Twitter are both ThunderwolfDrew. As it were. <laughs> and Benatavius Benwood? Yes. Do you yes. have any of your own?
1: Uh, yes, I do. You can check me out on Instagram at Ben Juan Ryder. Uh, you can also check us out on Instagram at Superhero Stuff Pod, which is how we met Zach. And, Zach, how can our listeners find you?
3: As usual, you can find me at Zachary Jackson Brown Art on Instagram and ZacharyJacksonBrownArt.com for my website.
1: Awesome. Indeed. Indeed, yes. So, happy Halloween, everybody. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time for part two.
0: Catch you on the flip flop. Happy Halloween, you little cretins. <laughs>